1: Hello and welcome to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is the first part on the Napoleonic Wars of 1803 to 1815. It was just before noon on Tuesday the 15th 1769, in the town of Ajaccio, on the Mediterranean island of Corsica. A minor noblewoman of Italian origin, Maria Letizia Buonaparte, suddenly felt labour pains on her way home from church. She only just had time to get into the house before she gave birth. Her son, whom she named Napoleon, would go on to change the course of European history. In the war between 1803 to 1815, named after him, 5 million lives were lost, in terms of a proportion of the total population equivalent to the First World War of 1914 to 18. This is in addition to the 2 million lives lost in the French Revolutionary Wars, which immediately preceded the Napoleonic Wars and discussed in the last episodes. The only previous war which compares is the Thirty Years' War, 1618 to 1648. The conflict was global in reach, with worldwide repercussions, but left a particularly deep scar in Europe that would last for generations. Napoleon's meteoric rise from minor nobility in Corsica to the most powerful ruler in Europe would not have been possible without the French Revolution of 1789. He was trained at the Military Academy at Brienne, then at the École Militaire in Paris, where he specialised in artillery. He rose rapidly through the ranks and benefited from the high turnover of officers and a new system of promotion based on merit rather than noble status. As a young man, he avidly read the classics, identifying strongly with Alexander the Great, and like many of his contemporaries, he was very interested in the ideas of the Enlightenment. He had a dark complexion, with short, dark hair, and was said to have a piercing and scrutinising glance. As for his character, he was highly intelligent, with an excellent memory, he was charismatic and quick-witted, but prone to outbursts of temper. As described in the previous set of episodes on the French Revolutionary Wars, the 18th century balance of power system was breaking down even before the French Revolution began. Conflict had begun in 1787 when the Ottoman Sultan declared war on Russia. The fight for Central and Eastern Europe expanded after 1792 to include the question of a revived France- an European state system. When the French Revolutionary Wars came to an end, the British Navy had asserted its dominance of the world's oceans and overseas colonies. On the continent of Europe, Russia was dominant in the east, while France had complete control over Western and Southern Europe. France had annexed Belgium, and the Dutch provinces, which had been renamed the Batavian Republic, was a French satellite Italy was also under French control. Piedmont was directly incorporated into France, while the rest of the peninsula was divided into a number of puppet republics. Peace could potentially have lasted after the treaties of Lunéville and Amiens of 1801 and 1802 if the three great powers had accepted each other's sphere of influence. However, the agreements turned out to be just a short truce. Conflict would continue over the struggle for supremacy in Central Europe where the bulk of the Holy Roman Empire was weakened but still intact and Austria and Prussia were bruised but not unbowed. The new Tsar of Russia, Alexander I, was determined to stand against French encroachments and the British were still ready to use diplomacy and money to help build a coalition to prevent French hegemony on the continent. The French were also resentful of Britain's stranglehold on overseas commerce and were determined to recover their former position as a major global power. After a decade of expensive warfare, the British were reluctant to go back to war. The Prime Minister, Henry Eddington, quickly abolished an income tax designated for war expenses and sharply reduced naval expenditure in the hope of a lasting settlement. However, the British were unhappy that Napoleon refused to negotiate a free trade agreement and that he excluded their manufactured goods from every country under his control. Also, in contravention of the Peace of Amiens, Napoleon did not evacuate French troops from the Batavian Republic. He also annexed Piedmont and Elba to France and occupied Parma in Italy. In addition, Britain disliked the threat of French colonial expansion involved in the sending of troops to Haiti in the Caribbean, the earlier forced secession of Louisiana from Spain, and also the build-up of the French navy. As war with Britain loomed, Napoleon, to focus on resources on Europe, took the dramatic step of selling Louisiana to the United States at a knocked-down price. The territory of Louisiana covered a much larger area than the current state of the same name. It was a funnel-shaped block of land stretching from the Mississippi to the Rockies with its points at New Orleans. However, it was Napoleon's continued annexations on the continent and apparent ambitions in the Near East which most alarmed British ministers, especially as there was now little opposition to further French expansion. In February 1803, Napoleon intervened in Switzerland to impose a new constitution and to take control of the Alpine passes. The Cis-Alpine Republic in northern Italy was renamed the Italian Republic, with Napoleon as its president and his stepson, Eugène de Beauharnais as his viceroy. The British were also concerned at a pronouncement of the Imperial Diet in 1803, called the Imperial Recess, which, according to plans initiated by the French and Russians, consolidated many of the German territories into larger units. The law secularised nearly 70 ecclesiastical states and abolished 45 imperial cities to compensate numerous German princes for territories to the west of the Rhine that had been annexed by France as a result of the French Revolutionary Wars. Austria and Prussia were beneficiaries in a way as they traded exposed Western territories for larger, more contiguous lands. In relative terms, it was the middling states that gained the most. In exchange for losses on the left bank of the Rhine, the principalities of Baden, Württemberg and Bavaria all increased substantially, swallowing up their smaller neighbours. In recognition of their new benefactor, all three began to transfer their allegiance from the Holy Roman Emperor to Napoleon. Many Germans began to see him as a surrogate emperor, which he encouraged by proclaiming himself as Emperor of France in May 1804 and crowning himself with the Crown of Charlemagne in Paris in December 1804.
0: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra.
1: The next French provocation was the revelation of plans by Napoleon to invade Egypt again. Concerned about Napoleon's ambitions in the Mediterranean, the British declared war on the 18th of May 1803. With the rest of the continent still at peace, albeit uneasily so, the next two years were dominated by French attempts to organise an invasion force of Britain at the northern point of Boulogne. Napoleon invested a huge amount of effort and money into the project, although the planned invasion never took place. One of the factors hampering Britain's search for allies was the influence of French propaganda. Even before hostilities resumed, the French widely publicised the message that the chief culprit for Europe's misfortunes was British greed and ambition. This became central to the rallying cry of the French war effort. It played on a general feeling that London was unreliable as an ally. It is true that Britain's campaigns on the continent had sometimes been half-hearted. After all, her attention was divided between Europe and overseas. Successive Westminster governments had different priorities so that a new administration would be prone to backtrack on commitments given by its predecessor. Public opinion was also an important factor in British politics and the general population were wary of paying subsidies to foreign powers or risking British lives for no obvious benefit in return. Britain had few direct interests in the continent to advance or defend with the partial exception of Hanover of which their king, George III, was also the elector. But nor did the fate of Hanover arouse much sympathy in public opinion the British focused on their own strategic interests, which included the prevention of a hegemony by any one continental power, whoever that might be. Another reason for some disdain among continental powers was that while the British navy was very highly respected, the British army did not have such a good reputation, having achieved no major victories by themselves in recent times. But then London was not generally interested in committing a large land force on the continent when there seemed a possibility of achieving their objectives instead with subsidies to allies. This is one reason why Tsar Alexander of Russia hesitated before getting involved in war against France. Alexander was a charming and courteous young man who sincerely believed in the ideals of the Enlightenment and he personally admired Napoleon. And around him, at court in St Petersburg, There were advisers who saw Britain as the tyrant of the seas and Russia's imperial rival in Asia, and therefore the greater threat to their strategic interests. Yet the Tsar took his role as mediator in Germany very seriously, so he was genuinely outraged by Napoleon's occupation of Hanover in late 1803, the kidnapping of a British diplomat in North Germany a year later and many other indications that the French intended to violate the integrity of the Holy Roman Empire. A quarrel over the Ionian islands off the western coast of Greece, and the annexation of Genoa to France in June 1805, went on to the long list of provocations which persuaded the Tsar to finally declare war on France. Austria, Britain's former ally, was also reluctant to resume the struggle against France. Her armies had suffered heavy defeats in the French Revolutionary Wars, and she had to bear the main burden of the Continental War after the withdrawal of Prussia in 1795. And after a decade of war, her finances were in tatters. Yet Franco-Austrian relations were tense, and the Habsburgs resented the imposition of the Imperial Recess, which destroyed their traditional influence in Germany. Germany. Relations were soured further by Napoleon's assumption of the title of Emperor in May 1804, an affront to the legitimacy of the imperial Habsburg family, which they found particularly offensive. By autumn 1804, they concluded a secret military convention with France, which agreed on how much help they were to provide in any future war with France. And so in 1804 and 1805, a new so-called Third Coalition of Austria, Russia, Britain and Naples slowly assembled against Napoleon and discussed ideas about constructing geopolitical barriers to restrict France. They appealed to Frederick William III of Prussia to join, but the Prussian administration was divided and the king decided to remain neutral. Even without the Prussians, the coalition had considerable resources, but their actions were poorly coordinated. Austria was not yet ready for war. The military reforms introduced by Emperor Francis's brother, Archduke Charles, had barely begun to take effect. Vienna was intent on recovering her Italian possessions and sent most troops there, assigning only 60,000 to Germany. Napoleon, however, advanced rapidly into Germany, surprised and unmoved, General Mack and forced him into a humiliating surrender at Ulm on the 20th of October 1805. Joy in Paris at news of the victory was offset by events off the coast of Spain. As part of a French plan to take control of the English Channel and invade Britain, French and Spanish fleets had sailed from the port of Cadiz in the south of Spain. They encountered the British fleet under Admiral Lord Nelson, recently assembled to meet this threat, in the Atlantic Ocean along the southwest coast of Spain, off Cape Trafalgar. A particularly fierce battle took place on the 21st of October, the day after the Austrian surrender at Ulm. The greater experience and training of the Royal Navy, and also their superior guns, overcame the greater numbers of the enemy ships. The Franco-Spanish fleet lost 22 ships and the British lost none, although during the battle Nelson was shot by a French musketeer and died shortly before the battle ended. British maritime supremacy was now complete. Britain was safe from invasion and could continue to expand her commercial activities overseas, which in turn enabled her to keep on subsidising her continental allies. In Italy, meanwhile, Archduke Charles repulsed a French attack at Calediero, but the general situation was catastrophic. The Russian army was unable to arrive in time to prevent the French occupying the Habsburg capital, Vienna. The combined allied army numbered over 80,000 and encountered the French near the town of Austerlitz in Moravia on the 2nd of December. With his army heavily outnumbered, the battle that took place is considered by many as Napoleon's most masterly. Enticed to attack the French right, the allies left their centre unguarded and this allowed the Emperor to split them in two. Thrown into complete disorder, his enemies fought with great courage, but by the end of the day, Their left was all but surrounded. All in all, their casualties amounted to some 25,000 men, while the French had suffered losses of only 8,000. The Russians withdrew back eastwards, while the Austrians hastened to make peace, signed at Pressburg on the 26th of December. Napoleon's foreign minister and trusted advisor, Charles Maurice de Talleyrand, advised not to go too hard on Austria, who could still be made an ally. Napoleon instead shrugged off moderation in favour of the complete humiliation of his opponent, and thus caused lasting resentment. Austria was forced to pay a substantial indemnity and lost Venetia, Istria, and Dalmatia to the Kingdom of Italy, also the Tyrol and Faralberg to Bavaria, and Breisgau to Baden and Wurttemberg. They also had to recognise the reorganisation of the Holy Roman Empire. ...under a Napoleonic plan that would be called the Confederation of the Rhine. At this point, with the German imperial title increasingly meaningless... ...Emperor Francis II abdicated the throne on the 6th of August 1806... ...declaring the empire to be already dissolved in the same announcement. This was a political move to impair the legitimacy of the Confederation of the Rhine. He had already anticipated losing the Holy Roman crown, however. Two years earlier, as a reaction to Napoleon making himself his emperor, he had raised Austria to the status of an empire. Thus, for two years, Francis had two imperial titles. With the former title relinquished, after 1806, he reigned as Francis I, Emperor of Austria. After just over a thousand years, the Holy Roman Empire officially came to an end. Next week, I continue the story of the Napoleonic Wars. I hope you can join me then. In the meantime, please check out the podcast's Facebook page or Patreon page if you'd like to help support the show. Today's music is the first movement of Beethoven's Third Symphony, called the Eroica, which is said to have been initially dedicated to Napoleon. Beethoven initially admired Napoleon, but was so angry when he declared himself emperor that he angrily tore up the title page and later rededicated it to Prince Lobkowitz, Beethoven's main patron. I shall leave you with the final couple of minutes of the movement. Thank you for listening. Until next time, all the best and goodbye.